Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, and Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer in Lincoln Square, our online edition. A few weeks ago we started a series on just one chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11. Uh, by faith. What does it look like to live by faith in fearful times? These are fearful times. Uh, To live by faith, though, changes our calculus. It changes what and why we do what we do. And we need to see those implications. We need to look out and find the implications of that, find the applications of that. One of which has already been mentioned today, that even though we're in a pandemic, Chuck is still planting his church with our blessing. He's still, go, he's still going out. And we're going to joyfully get to support and celebrate Chuck as he does so. That three years after we were planted, now we get to watch Chuck go and do likewise. Which is why we're going to be very intentional all month long to be prayerful for him and for his family and for this beautiful, beautiful work that you have begun. All by faith. All in faith. And that's not just a, a platitude. That's not just an ambiguous statement. The, the writer here has a lot of meaning in, those statement, in that statement. Look at our text. Uh, today, in our, this particular one, we need to ask the question, why did God take Enoch? That uh, The Bible doesn't really go into many details, but what's clear is that Enoch had a very special, unique fellowship with God that was so strong, is at such a level that he was taken up. Now, if you go to Genesis 5.24, it says that he walked with God, that the relation was so strong that God kept him from tasting death. Now, why would God do that? The answer can't, could not have been the level of his piety. It wasn't that he was sinless. We know from Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he, like everyone, was woefully inadequate. So what was it? I think the answer our text gives us, it's threefold. What we see here is, the importance of walking with God, the promise of the escape from death, and then how we can actually be reconciled with Him. So we're going to look at today the importance of walking with God, the promise of escaping from death, but then also how we can actually be reconciled with Him. First, the importance with walking with God. We only have four verses in the entire Bible about Enoch in the Old Testament. But apparently walking with God was such a big deal that the Hebrew writer put him among the greats of what it means to live by faith. 
that he walked with God. Now, the first time that word is used in the Bible is in Genesis 3, verse 8, when God comes walking in the cool of the night, looking for Adam and Eve, which is actually a really important point. That, I mean, he, this happened after the fall. He was coming looking for Adam and Eve. But that, what's insinuated in the text is that this is a, a normal occurrence. That the point of life, the point of the purpose of human life, before everything got ruined, the joy of God, the, the point of everything was to go on walks with Him, to commune with Him, to be with Him in relationship. And once humanity fell, once we started looking to other things other than God for what's important, we lost that intimacy, we lost that closeness, and yet Enoch walked with God, which should make us do a double take. How did he do that? How is that even possible? I think what's alluded in the text is at least five aspects of walking with God that we find here that you need to have to walk with God. Let me go through them quickly. First, it's very simple. It says here in verse 6 that to walk with God at some level means you have to believe with him, in Him. You have to believe, verse 6 says you have to believe that He exists. And that sounds like a very basic point, but now, today, it's actually very socially acceptable to just have faith ambiguously, to have faith in general. But the Hebrew writers say, no, faith can't be in general. It has to be in a very particular faith in Him where your mind is engaged. That whatever it means to live by faith, it's more than belief, but it's certainly not less than it. That's the first thing we see. Secondly, you have to believe He exists, but you also have to be at peace with Him. Why? Because what's implied with walking with God is there's some level of relationship and friendship there, and that can't happen unless you're at peace with Him. Which is why Romans 5 verse 1, the first thing it says there is, by faith, we are now at peace with Him because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Whereas formerly we had beef with Him, now we don't have beef with Him. We have peace. He abides with me, I abide with Him. And I'm worried right now what's happening as you're watching this is that your eyes are just glazing over and you're just sort of tuning, starting to tune out because I said the phrase, you know, Jesus forgives our sins. And I, I really worry when I say phrases like that because most Christians just just nod their head and pleasantly say, that's nice. But they don't really understand how a big of a deal this really is. That if your sins are forgiven, that doesn't just mean the things that you know are wrong with you. Sins are much deeper than that. It's, it's usually, the, the most real sin that's active in your life right now are the, one, are the things that you don't even know are a problem. But you've been forgiven of those things too. Many sins are, are more insidio, uh, insidious because they hide from us. You can't see them. That's what makes them even a bigger problem. Just like some cancers are a bigger problem because they hide and therefore that makes them more dangerous and more lethal, some sins are the same way. So for instance, pride or greed. Those are ones that are, we all acknowledge are rampant, but we don't talk about them. We don't even see them in our lives. Another one that's actually around and we don't talk about at all in the church is racism. Very few people own up to being a racist. Very few people would actually say that they actively are a racist. And I'm not talking about the political concept here. This is a biblical concept way before it was political. Look at Peter, who clearly favored one people group over another. He was confronted on it in Acts and rebuked, and he repented. 
But if the man of God who, who the, if the man who God built his church on, Peter, couldn't see this, that should give us pause at some level because maybe we don't see it in our own lives either. This is why I think Amy Cooper is so important for us. A few weeks ago, uh, a woman in Central Park, um, she, Amy Cooper, she made headlines because uh, she was videotaped by a black man that she was going to call the police on and specifically report that an African-American was threatening her. She actually says it a few times on the video to the police. She says, an African-American is threatening me, which means that she was leveraging her, his race as grounds for the police to come and inspect. Later she spoke about, she, you know, later on uh, when she was interviewed, she said that well, she only did that because she was agitated and she was flustered and she was upset and she was mad. And that's actually sort of the point. That in our normal everyday lives, no one thinks that they're a racist. It's when life gets hard. It's when, it's when things get stressful. That's when our survival instinct comes out. And we'll use anything that we think that we have to win. We'll stand on that thing. We'll create a divide. We'll exploit the power differentials. When the pressure comes on, that's when the cracks come out. Think of a bridge. Uh, to the naked eye, you can't see any cracks, any imperfections, any faults. But if you run a Mack truck on that bridge, you put the weightiness and stress on that bridge, all of a sudden... You see the cracks that you couldn't see before. We need the weight of the peace of God in our hearts so that we can say, Lord, show me my hidden sins. Show me my hidden faults, the pride, the greed, the racism. That's all latent. You can't see it, but it's, it's actually in there. And we don't, if, even if we don't see it, it's there. I think we're, that's why we're all Amy Cooper. Just find the right pressure point and it will come out. Let's repent of that now. Let's admit that we thought ourselves better than others. That, see, the, the racist heart doesn't know it's racist. But if we have peace with Him, if we've been reconciled with Him, you can admit freely. If there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you can go into those dark spaces, the places you don't normally bring to light, and walk with Him. You have peace with Him. Let's move on. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Third thing we see here, you have to believe in Him, you have to have peace with Him. But thirdly, you have to, to go on a walk with God. There, there's a level of listening and talking. Talking and listening. You have to do both. If you only talk... You've been on walks with people like this where they only talk. Not a good walk. It's actually both and. Talk and listen. There's a give and a take. That to walk with God means in our daily, regular use of prayer and Bible time, we're talking and listening. When you come to Him and say, 
God, show me your ways. Show me who you are. Show me your character. Show me what I'm missing. You're, you're talking to him. And then when you open that, up that Bible, when you read, when you, when you see what you see in there, when, you, when you're absorbing and soaking in, you're, you're listening. You're seeing. You're hearing. Because we've stopped to listen. A lot of us will say, I don't feel close to God right now. And a lot of us right now, the past couple of months, we've not felt very close to him. So let me ask you, are you talking and listening? Right? It's, not, it's not a hard stretch to say that if you don't have a viable Bible in prayer time, you're not going to have a relationship with Him. You're not going to be able to walk with Him. Fourth thing, to walk means to practice presence. And you say, okay, what does that mean? It means this, that you always have Him by your side. That if you're walking with Him, that means you have God at your elbow in all things. There's, there's no doing life without Him. He's God. He's everywhere whether you knew it or not. But if you're practicing that presence, it means you grant Him that access. You give Him that access into your decision-making, into your, into your feelings, into your, dis, your cares and your worries, into every aspect of your life. You, you, you have Him on the brain, so to speak. That's what it means to have, or sorry, that's what it means to practice presence. He's with you in that fire. He's with you in that sadness. He's with you in everything. That's what it means to walk with Him. Fifthly, to walk with God means to also know His presence. Yes, you have to practice His presence, but the fifth thing is to actually know it. Ironically, you can't do this fifth one unless you do the other four first. Only if you know that He exists, only if you're at peace with Him, only if you're listening and talking with Him, only if you're practicing presence with Him, then you have the chance of actually knowing His presence. The first four are up to you. The fifth one is actually technically up to Him and the Holy Spirit, that, which means you, you never sit in this intimacy all the time. But it is possible to have this sweetness, to have this presence, to, to, to really walk with Him. Now, before we move on, let me give you one more application of this. If you're really walking with God, if you really have His presence, if you're really reconciled with Him, that you can walk out in life now with more confidence than you've ever had before, knowing that He always will be with you now, now you can walk with other people as well, can't you? See, we're, we're in a divided country, and, and the powers that be are dividing us even more. And the reason why they divide us is because you're, we are more manipulative. We are more able to be manipulated if we're divided. And so we're siloed, we're fractioned, we're fragmented. But if you walk with God, that gives us the ability to walk with people whom you normally would not have. That... You naturally wouldn't. This is not just, this is with our black and brown brothers and sisters, but also people from different social economic backgrounds, people you wouldn't normally spend time with. They might, if you do this, they might ask you, why are you walking with me? And the answer is very simple. Well, I'm walking with you because God walks with me. If you have that grace in your life, if you have his love, if you, that gives you such a depth of love and security and a foundation to do this. The, the cultural moment that we're in right now, what's happening 24-7 on the news cycle, in the social media world, we're all being asked to be with people we wouldn't normally be with. We're being asked to associate and to sympathize, to come alongside. But the way the secular culture does it is this. They say, hey, truth and morals are relative, but you should do this. You, this, this is the most important. You have to do this. Which makes no sense. It's nonsensical. It's, it's duplicitous. The Christian view says this, He associated with you 
Now you can associate with others. When he had everything to lose, he moved out and aligned and related to you. Now, because of that, now we have nothing to lose when we do that. So to walk with God, think about it. What do you, what do you ultimately have to lose? Ultimately, nothing. So many people have so much angst about what they can do right now to be agents of the kingdom. And it's always been the same throughout all of time. It means to be sent. It means to go into spaces and lives of people whom you normally wouldn't. This could be the, your, your, the next door neighbor, somebody across the hallway who you never really wanted to talk to or be around. This could be that security guard whom you didn't ever get his name or knew, know his situation or his family background. This could be the protesters. right? We, 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 we could ask for their stories and try to find out what they're doing and why they're doing it. If we knew that we belonged to God, to bring the kingdom of God starts so simply. And if you do it, it breaks down all the social barriers. So we want, if you want to end racism, it starts with walking with God. So that then we will walk with other people. And that means believing that He exists. It means being at peace with Him. It means listening and talking to Him. It means practicing presence and then knowing His presence. And having that presence. If you can do that, let's move on. Uh, The second thing that we see here is also the promise of the escape from death. Look look at our text. Uh, if If you, well, take all of Hebrews. Hebrews 2 tells us that the people who's originally that he's that the writer's talking to, they're scared of death. They're afraid of it. Tolkien in his essay on fairy stories brings up the fact that most fairy stories, most stories in general, have what he calls a, a fugitive spirit. There needs to be an escape. We need to get out. And usually it's to get away from death. And we want some sort of happy ending where even though everything's going to fall apart, there's a eucatastrophe. It looks like everything's going to end terribly. And yet there's a happy ending. Why is it that most of our stories go in that direction? It's because that's what we most want. We want to escape death and have a happy ending because deep, deep down in our hearts, what we know is waiting for us is death. Is this nothingness? And yet, Right here, the writer is saying, Enoch escaped it. He was taken out of this life. And the Old Testament does not talk about this a lot. It's there. It's in Isaiah 25 where it talks about how God will swallow death forever and He will wipe every tear from our eyes. You have Isaiah 26 where it says the dead will rise up from the dust and wake and sing for joy. And Daniel, it says that The dead will shine like stars. Job 19, it says this verse by verse. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives and He will stand on earth and after my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Psalm 17 says, we will behold His face when we awake. See, these are all glimpses and hints and allusions to the fact that God is saying that death will not have the last word. He didn't let it have the last word with Enoch. He didn't let him have the last word with Elijah. And he doesn't want to let it have he does not want death to have the last word for you either. So the very thing we're most afraid of, 
the very thing that's ever present around us all time, in the cross, it's transformed before our very eyes. When Jesus hits death, he smashes its power. When he enters into it and experiences it for us, death still hits us, but it can't kill us anymore. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, what you haven't done enough. Through through the death of Jesus, union with him now means we're part of his family. Now and in the next life. The poet George Herbert puts it succinctly. He says, death used to be an executioner. Now it's just a gardener. All it can do is rearrange life. How? Death can't end you anymore. All it can do is bring you into fuller life. I finally got around to watching Sam Mendes' uh, really good movie that got a lot of awards, 1917. There's a scene in it where it's um, World War I, and two soldiers are are walking through a grove of cut-down cherry trees. And they're lamenting because they're dead. The, The Germans had come by and cut them all down. One was more, more upset, but there, another was, was, a little, was a little, another individual was a little more thoughtful. He said, "You know, yeah, there's death. Yes, the beauty, the life has been cut down, but because they cut them down, you'll end up with more trees than before." And I think that's it. All death and destruction. All it can do is ensure more life. All death can do now is chop us down, but all it's going to do is bring us to a moment where we're going to rise back up. Death can't take away the one thing that we need most, and that's Him. In the deepest of ironies, death has made us all Enochs. Now we're all going to be taken up to Him. How comforting is that? It's the best comfort. He will be with me, and I will be with Him. And you know what you can do with that now? There's so much you can do with that. A very simple application is this. Now you can be fearless. If death can't ultimately get you, what what really can? In the protests going on all across America, there's a sense of desperation, like the reason why we have to do this is because we have to to get this all solved right now. And I love that zeal, and I'm so glad for it, and we need it. And yet if if you're a student of history, you know how this works. Eventually, this is going to die. This will stop. And the zeal will be gone. But for Christians, when the zeal has died out for everyone else, we can be fearless. We can take more risks. We can go further in. We don't have to actually stop when everybody else has stopped. We don't have to slow down when everybody else has slowed down. And if, if you are free from death, you can look at the cracks in our criminal justice system. You can look at the brokenness in our healthcare system. You can look at the brokenness in our educational system and you can keep at it. All Christians are Enoch's. We all have, we have to allow this truth to pierce our plans and our actions and our ethos and where we live and why we live there. It's about calling. Have you let this truth move you and frame you and frame where you're going to be and who you're going to be? The last point, fine, then how can you really walk with God? Because you should be seeing in the back of your head, those five things, that's a lot. And you're like, I don't know if I can actually do them. What's the way to actually be reconciled to Him? The answer is that we can be confident 
that those who earnestly seek him, this is verse 6 again, will be rewarded. Now, when you first read this, you think some sort of tangible reward, but there's nothing more rewarding. All tangible rewards are going to perish. But to be rewarded with that which is of real value will be God's presence. That's what the writer is kind of getting at. Is that we know that we can have that presence because of the one who went before us. We can get through death because he went through death. And Jesus didn't just experience physical death. No, when he was on that cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could have been saying, Why are you not walking with me anymore? And the answer is, But he was cut off so that we could be let in. So do you want to walk with him? All we're talking about here is the end of death. Where, O death, is thy sting? You can take our loved ones away. But all it's going to do is make them shine brighter than before. All that was lost will be made whole again. Even in the dark, there'll be light again. All that was gone is we brought back. Every slight, every darkness, every hurt, every death, every disease wiped away, not forgotten. Our tear-streaked faces, they're still here. Sorry. My dad has cancer. But with this, you can have this truth. You can have this now. That he can turn every tear into gladness. And the question is, is, are you ready for that? This is what it means to live in faith like Enoch now. Walking with him. Walking with God. Nothing is more important. I pray that you will be known, that we will know. Enoch, how do I say this? I pray we'll all be known as Enoch's, that we would all walk like him. Inevitably, if we walked with him, we would walk with others, walk in a way that sympathizes with plights and struggles with the world into communion with God, into communion with each other. Why? Because you've been reconciled with Him. The black church has always known this and has always said this prophetically, that the biggest problem of our world, the solution of our ills, is that people need to be reconciled with Him. And if you have been, then we already know what the ultimate solution to the world is, is to help other people be reconciled with God as well. There are so many people out there saying, if people just did their jobs, well, then we wouldn't be here. I'm sorry, we've been at this for thousands and thousands of years. Look at all of our history. Racism was a problem then. It's going to be a problem. It's a problem now. It's going to be a problem in our future. Right? And this problem isn't just going to go away. This, was a, this has always been our problem. And it's not going to go away if we're just educated enough. It's not going to go away if we just care enough. We're more educated than ever before. We've cared more than we ever have before. And it's still here. What we need 
is we need people in positions of power and authority to get reconciled with God. And that is what Redeemer Lincoln Square has always been about. That's always been our vision, to be in New York City, called to this city, to be reconciled with God. Because to walk with Him, if we have no fear of death, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else, our loved ones, ones, ones we don't even love, as Christians we can take that hit in our careers if it means people will be reconciled with God. It means that we should live here sacrificially, potentially, maybe with less comfort and less money. But then we can be salt and light out in this world that needs it so desperately right now, not just because of the pandemic, not just because of the social unrest, not because of the racism that's latent in our hearts and in the hearts of others, but for the peace and prosperity of the city. Racism ends ultimately with the redemption and restoration of the world, with the new heavens and new earth, with the betterment of the city, And he's calling us to that right now. And it comes when all peoples become truly reconciled with God. We are here for this moment. We are here for others to walk with them as we walk with God. And so if I can just get super practical with you for just a moment, are you willing to trade a potential promotion so that you could actually walk with someone else, with a coworker? talking to them, walking with them, help so that you can help them walk with God. Will you talk to the principal of your school? Will you get to know them? Extend yourself. Use up the precious time that you as a New Yorker have so that you can help them as you're walking with God to help them walk with God. Ultimately, this is what Redeemer Lincoln Square has always been about. This is why we're in the city and why you should be in the city too because the issues that need to be solved in the criminal justice system, in the healthcare system, in our education system. Every system requires people in positions to do something about them. And so to be reconciled with God, this is what our purpose is. This is what our call is. For us to work and be here, to be in those spaces, to heal, redeem, and remake. Come crosses, Come pandemics, come death, you can't ultimately get us anymore. And we want the world, we want to tell the world why. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're really raw right now. And we're really raw for different reasons. I'm certainly raw for different reasons than most but it's all the same. It's the brokenness. You've given us a promise. Enoch is a foretaste of the promise that you have given to us. Not only that it won't always be this way, but that you will not let death have the last say. Help us to see that the most important thing for us to do is to walk with you in all places and then help other people walk with you. I pray that we will be sent out and extend ourselves out. There's so much to do. We've become so overwhelmed if we just look at, at everything all at once. Help us to pick the very tangible, regular areas that, of what we can do, repenting of our sins, of our own spaces that where we don't even see our sin, and then moving out into the lives of others. 
to help redeem the world in this city and elsewhere. We pray these things in your name.